You know, there's an interesting movie that came out a few years ago by Christopher Nolan, pretty famous director in our times, called Inception. And Inception means the starting point or beginning of something, like a seed. And the basic idea of the movie was that if you, these uh, guys would be hired to hook themselves up to somebody while they were asleep. And when they did that, they could enter into their dreams and incept ideas into them, plant ideas that would then grow once they wake up and kind of redefine their reality, their self-understanding. And at one point, the protagonist explains why this method is so effective. He says, an idea is like a virus. It's resilient and it's highly contagious. And even the smallest seed of an idea can grow. It can grow to define or destroy an individual. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. So, for example, if I were to hire these men to incept you with the idea that you need to go to confession, you know, just as a random example, little by little people would wake up and this little voice in their back of their head would be like, you need to go to confession, you need to go to confession. And little by little you start to redefine your life according to that. The problem is, is if it gets out of the hand, then it grows so big and then you become obsessed with trying to go to confession like every single day. That's when you have to try to incept a new idea like don't be, um, what's that word? Uh, scrupulous, yeah. So I've been contemplating the idea of, the idea of revolution. Where did the idea of revolution come from? In light of Independence Day, for one, and the somewhat revolutionary times our country seems to be going through at this present moment. What's the nature of a revolution? And why are the ideas of revolutions so attractive to us as human beings? And what is the antidote? Assuming one is looking for an antidote. So first, the nature of a revolution. A revolution is defined as a forcible overthrow of a system of power in favor of something new, something hoped to be better. And nothing seems to run so deep in the human blood of every individual than the, the desire to overthrow existing powers in favor of something new. And for this reason, Thomas Jefferson once said that every generation would need a new revolution to build upon. It doesn't matter if it's a revolution against our parents, a revolution against spouses, a revolution against our bodies, a political French revolution, a religious Protestant revolution, a philosophical Marxist revolution, or a cultural sex revolution. Few things are so attractive to every human mind and so prevalent in every epoch of human history as a new revolution. And there are many reasons why this might be the case. According to Karl Marx, revolutions themselves are the locomotives of history. Revolutions are what move the world forward. According to Bob Marley, it's the only way to make things better. You need a revolution to create a solution. According to Victor Hugo, it's the only legitimate response to a totalitarian regime, saying, when dictatorship is a fact, Revolution becomes a necessity. George Bernard Shaw, he disagreed with that though. He, said, he observed that revolutions never lighten the burden of tyranny. They've only shifted it to another shoulder. So when you overthrow one government, 
they just overcome with another one who then puts on the same burden on the masses as before. The Beatles, well, they just want to have a good time and thought a revolution sounded groovy. You say you want a revolution, well, you know we all want to change the world. So many people try to justify the revolutionary spirit, but my question is why this incessant need for a revolution? To forcibly overthrow a system of power in favor of something new, always something new. Where did the idea begin? When was it first incepted in the human brain? And to understand that, we have to go back to the beginning, to the first revolution of mankind, the first forcible overthrow of a system of power in favor of something new, the Garden of Eden. When our first parents gazed upon that lovely forbidden fruit in the garden in the middle, the one thing that they couldn't possess, that tree was placed there by God as a sign of his covenant with them as a sign of their trust and total fidelity to him. And yet, under the guise of another voice, it became a sign of oppression, a sign of tyranny. God knows well that when you eat from this tree, you will become gods like him, deciding for yourselves what is good and what is evil. In other words, God was the first tyrant and the garden was a prison, and their nakedness, their innocence, was juvenile and childish. You were created to be free, but this tree, this garden, it enslaves you. It keeps you from actualizing all that potentiality within you. You are a victim of God's oppression. Therefore, you must revolt. Herein was the first temptation of the proletariat to rise against the bourgeoisie, those who have not to usurp the power of those who have. That was the moment of inception, the first time the idea was planted within us that God was a tyrant and rebellion was the only way to find freedom and fulfillment in our own lives. Because when dictatorship is a fact, Revolution becomes a right. If we believe that we are being tyrannized, the only option is to rebel. And I think it was because of that act, that original rebellion of our first parents, that that lie got planted into us, into our subconscious like a seed. And it causes us over and over and over again to rebel and to revolt to look for a new forbidden tree to eat from, a new fruit that will give us knowledge, a new potentiality that is not yet actualized. That idea has been incepted into us like a virus, resilient and highly contagious, and it's grown to define and destroy us as a human race over and over again, whether it be in marriages, in families, in churches, in states, you name it. Now, every generation thereafter would need a new revolution, a new forcible overthrow. So the question is, how do we escape it? If this is the history of man, and we're human beings, and we're living in history, are we condemned 
to follow the same stages of revolution that have always come before us and are likely to follow right after us? Or is there an antidote? I think there is one thing that can possibly save an individual human being from falling for every revolution that comes in their times. And there is always a new revolution in every one of our times. I think it's the idea that Christ expresses in today's gospel. To become like little ones. To become once again little children who know the love of our Father. And that is a revelation, an idea that Jesus Christ alone could incept within us. For Jesus alone knows the Father. And he alone has the power to reveal to us who the Father is. We revolted in the garden because we believed the idea that it was necessary. That we had to take power into our own hands because we didn't have a Father who was watching over us. Who was caring for us. Who was using all things for his goodwill. Jesus came to uproot that lie with the revelation of who the Father truly is in our lives. The Father who knows well what we need even before we ask of it. Therefore, we don't have to worry. We can find rest because that's the one thing children don't need. Children don't need to take control. They don't need to overthrow. They don't need to recreate to throw off the old in hopes of something new. The only thing a child needs is his father. His father is always enough. Because the one thing a revolutionary does not have is a daddy. And that's the essence of every revolutionary. In the heart of every human being, there is one longing within us something that drives almost everything we do outside of ourselves, and that is our longing for our Father. That face that we lost in our first revolution in the garden when we believed that lie. It's not freedom we seek. It's not the new forbidden trees or fruits or new potentialities or new communities or new families or new spouses or new jobs. What we really long for, every single one of us in the depths of our hearts, is the eyes of the Father that we lost so long ago. And that's a face that only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can reveal to us. Because that's the essence of who Jesus Christ was in eternity and in his time on this earth. He was the little one, the child of the Father. And that's why he refused the revolutions that were taking part in his times. He refused to take sides. He refused to allow the revolutions to dictate his thoughts and his actions. Because the only thing that he was looking at was his father. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me, who is in me, who is guiding me. And that was a gaze that he stayed under every moment of his life. That was the gaze that guided him, that took him through every step that he took, even when he was up the mountain of Calvary, even when he was hanging on a cross between two revolutionaries, 
he remained in the middle, meek, humble, gazing upward. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. That's the idea, the revelation that Jesus Christ came to inset into every one of our hearts. The very thing we lost in our first revolution, the eyes of our Father. Is there anything in my life right now that's tempting me towards a revolution, to take control, to overthrow in hopes of something new, something better. The question we must continually ask is, at times, there's times to rise up, there's times to act. That's not the real question. The question is, am I acting like an orphan or am I acting as a little one? Is what I do, what I think, how I act, is it being dictated by the events around me or by the eyes of the one who is above me? protecting me and guiding me through my life. Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. That is a rest that Jesus Christ alone can offer us. Because Jesus Christ alone can offer us the one thing that we're all longing for, the one thing that we're lost, the one thing that we're all trying to regain in every revolution we face the face of our Heavenly Father.